0: Well, welcome, and um, today I'm talking with Alan Probert, who's the group head of GovCom Group. And uh, Alan is actually uh, a person that has incredible experience in marketing, advertising and media, but uh, most recently from a very specific public sector point of view. Welcome, Alan. Thanks, Darren. Yeah, welcome to you. Good to be here. Now, um, look, the, the interesting thing is this idea of, uh, of public sector versus government, because I noticed you know, your group is called GovCom, Government Communications, I imagine. That's right. But uh, in actual fact, the implications for government actually spread further over the public sector, don't they? Uh,
1: look, I think they do. Um, I mean, very quickly, I spent the last 10 years working in a, in a communications job in government, and um, for somebody that has spent the last 25 years working effectively as a media owner... It was a real poacher turned gamekeeper I was I was in control of an 80 million dollar advertising spend and working on a you know 14 15 16 different subject areas so really interesting variety but you know the thing that's that's that now that I've moved on that, that, that I think the thing that most reflect on that job was that there seemed to be this frame around the way that public sector did things yep. that was somehow different to how private sector did things and I you know, in the 25 years I worked in the private sector, I never had a conversation about how government did stuff. And it's a really interesting thing that people in government tend to see themselves as different.
0: Yeah, it, it's true, isn't it? There is a very different uh, mentality or even set of requirements to go between private sector and public sector, isn't there?
1: That's right. And and the and my personal experience, and this is with the benefit of you know 10 years of hindsight now, um, is that that... Uh, that, that sort of thought shadowed over a lot of decisions made but in reality actually the decisions were a lot more akin to a, public, to a private sector decision than anybody perhaps realised and, and I'm of the strong view now and one of the reasons I set up the GovCom group is actually I think the differences are getting smaller by the day uh, because governments have got to be accountable.
0: Now, you know, you, you worked in government, and in mm. fact, where we met was you were head of uh, government communications mm. for New South Wales. And as a supplier, we'd had quite a lot of experience, Trinity P3, with federal and state government. Mm. But uh, the interesting thing from my point of view is that as a private sector organisation working in government, you needed to be very aware of the different requirements and agendas. Either from personal experience when you moved out of private into public or observations you made, what are some of the key things where people make mistakes making that leap across or dealing with one to the other?
1: Well, look, I can now bring, you know, three perspectives to that because I've spent the last year advising some private sector companies on how to work with government. And I'm astonished how frightened people are of knocking on government's door. hmm and I think that's partly because historically procurement arrangements tend to make some things drawn out, perhaps it's hard to know who's the right person to talk to, but I do sometimes wonder, particularly when I'm working with agencies in our sort of shared field in advertising, is it is it really harder to pitch to the Department of Health than it is to pitch to Coca-Cola? I wouldn't imagine Coca-Cola to take every call from every salesperson that, that's trying to sell to them. And, and one of the challenges is that I see so many opportunities for people who, who have a, a product that government might buy simply being frightened to knock on the door. And, and part of that is because of a, a, a sort of learned history that it's going to be hard. I'm of the very strong view that's going to change.
0: Yeah, because, you know, from my personal experience, very large clients and government have something in common and it's called (laughs) bureaucracy, Yes. right? There's all this paperwork that you have to do, you have to, you know, tick the right boxes in the right order, Mm. even though at the centre of both of them will be some sort of relationship. Uh, If Large organisations mimic government a lot in, you know, creating what feels like barriers to actually building relationships, though.
1: And and it would be naive and and wrong to suggest that there there isn't difficulty process problems in dealing with the way government procures stuff. But as a corollary to that, if somebody takes in something that they've made for the UK market, let's say it's a piece of advertising about texting while driving, Mm -hmm. and what they have is empirical research on what people thought of the ad, how people responded to it, what the results of the ad were, there isn't a roads minister in Australia that isn't going to want to see that 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 uh, case study. Whether they make the ad or not, whether they want to change it to make it more local, mm. yeah. You know, this this power in the intellectual property that we have from the fact that actually all over the world, most governments are tackling the same problems.
0: So what you're saying is, public sector like um, private sector is looking for solutions to problems. Yeah?
1: Absolutely, and and I would say, you know, taking your analogy with going into a big corporate, I'm not sure what ideas. People can take into big corporates to show them how to do their job, but with governments being so homogenous all over the world, and you know, if you take an issue like texting while driving, it's an issue in every country in the world
0: that have cars and that have mobile cars phones. and mobile
1: phones, which pretty is, much all of them, which is, uh, and, <laughs> and advertising agencies, which is pretty much all yeah. of them. Um, you know, all governments are keen to learn because the the worst thing you can do in any public sector environment is start with a blank sheet of paper.
0: Yeah, but. One of the other, see, in a big corporate, there's a beautiful hierarchy in structure. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's the CEO, and then there's the C, you know, the C-suite, and then there's dep- you know, heads of different functions. And you know, there's a there's a definite structure. Often that fi- you you've, you can find that incredibly difficult to navigate to know whether you're talking to a decision maker, and that in government or in in the public sector. I mean, is the public sector structured similar to big corporations?
1: Uh, this is, it, it's a really difficult question to answer, and I think one of the uh, fundamental things that private sector organisations get wrong in dealing with government is in the notion of dealing with government.
0: Mm-hmm. So if you
1: just take the state we're in, and the state I know best, but it's actually true for all governments, New South Wales has 140 separate departments. Wow. It has something like 3,000 entities. So if you take, for example, the rent tribunal mm-hmm. organisation, which is part of fair trading is an entity. So if anybody thinks that they can sell to all those people in one go no. on a sales pitch. <laughs> so, but the corollary is, uh, if you go onto any minister's website, they will have listed what their ambitions and priorities are for the next 12 months.
0: And in some ways, the ministers like the CEO yeah. and the board. And,
1: and, in, and in modern politics, and, and this is, you know, there's a fine line, but in modern politics, we're increasingly coming to a, a, a more business-like organization where politicians, in particular the, the, the premier and his key ministers, have to outline what they're going to achieve in the next four to five years. Yep. Obama famously launched the 100-day plan. This is what I'm going to do in the first hundred days, mm-hmm. because that's how people change their minds about politicians. It's about what have you done for me?
0: Yeah, not what you say, what you're going to do, and then deliver on it. Yeah. But look, um, yeah, and, and that's a really good view of public-private sector. But is the same disruption that's happening in the private sector with digital and technology impacting government the same way or to the same extent? From a from an advertising point of view, in exactly the same way.
1: Mm-hmm. So uh, it just coincidentally the, the 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 big things that government tends to advertise, getting people to be sensible out in the sun, um, getting people to drive safely, uh, those things are largely targeting audiences of people aged under 25, and of course given and of course not taking up smoking. Yeah. Um, and so if you're trying to reach audiences under 25 and you haven't adapted your media planning for want of anything else, yeah. uh, then quite clearly I remember Matt Baxter saying to me that that you know the most he could do was get to me to 40% of males in New South Wales. With traditional with media? With traditional media, which was largely advertising on rugby league mm. on a Friday night, to be frank.
0: Um, <laughs> but Good old sports strategy.
1: Well, and one of the few bits of TV people still watch live, I'm sure. Um and Matt's view was you know, there was no point spending any further money after that because the next 60% would be so incrementally hard mm. to get. So when we launched the drink driving campaign Plan B in New South Wales in two, year, two years ago, that was the first time we'd ever spent more money on digital than on traditional advertising. Mm. And that's that's in the public domain. But it's, a, it's indicative of the fact that spending that money on mainstream TV would have been a mistake. Ten years ago, it wasn't. Mm. It was the right thing to do.
0: Yeah, that's right. I mean, there is a huge amount of accountability for Mm. government to actually make the right decisions because, you know, that's one of the things that uh, has always been explained to me about the procurement process is that you're managing the public purse. So you are even more accountable in some ways than if you're managing the corporate purse.
1: And if if you think back 10 years ago, and I was looking at this the other day for a piece of work I'm doing, um, our media planning 10 years ago for a Sunday announcement mm. would have been to book TV ads in the news on Sunday, and then, here we go, the big movie on a Sunday night, we'd put some ads in that, and then when we launched one of the first campaigns we worked on, we had ads in Die Hard with a Vengeance, yeah. when it was shown <laughs> on TV for the first time, and then during the week, we'd then have ads in Lost and Survivor and Desperate Housewives, mm. which would all get two and a half, three million viewers. I have a long format in the Telegraph, a long format in the Herald, Monday, Friday, Saturday probably, and some regional radio. That's a really good media schedule. Yeah, that covers everybody really well. It's virtually, and, and everybody gets to see it.
0: Except now, people are watching Netflix and Stan, and they're doing uh, you yeah. know uh, appointment, uh, not appointment, you know, demand video on demand, and all these other things. So obviously, government is facing the same issues of finding the right channel at the and, and the right way of engaging with their audience. But beyond that, is technology also impacting the approach government has? To the way they interact and engage with consumers. Because, you know, I remember lining up, and, and New South Wales is a great example of the change that I've seen, right? I remember lining up at the RTA and then having to line up. At another department, and then another department. Now suddenly we've got these—what um, are they called? Service. Service, service New South yeah. Wales, yeah. And, yeah. and and suddenly I can go to one place and I can do my, you know, uh, change of address, and I can do you know, half a dozen other things all at one place. Is that being driven by technology, or is it being? whose technology driving a change in attitude?
1: Look, it's it's the same as as you know the rest of the world. It's just, it's a bit of both. Uh-huh. But it's it's interesting starting with the advertising uh, thing that we just discussed because that's such a small element now of the of the conversation. Mm. Every government department's got a website. Every government department's always had a phone number, but we did have a situation in New South Wales where, in small towns or in towns like Orange or Bathurst, there would be an office of Fair Trading, and a Burst, Marriages, and Deaths, and an RTA, and perhaps another office as well, mm. and they wouldn't talk to one another, and they would be separate buildings, and and Service New South Wales, which is pretty much driven by O'Farrell when he came into power, was just a notion to say, why is it like that? Mm. And, and technology was the enabler that allowed the government to bring all that together because one website, one phone number, all yeah. of those things are, are technology driven. But the prime thinking of O'Farrell was, and, and it has become now common in every government in Australia, um,
0: why is it so hard? So, so, you know, that's what I saw. When I saw Services New South Wales, it was clear to me that this was a government that was saying that the people we serve or service are our customers and we should be looking at ways of engaging them in the way that they want to be engaged. Because doesn't um, Services New South Wales even have things like um, pop up stores? I think there was one in. Greenwood Plaza. It's a
1: digital-only store in Greenwood Plaza where you can do, do yeah. stuff. And and uh,
0: so, mean, so I, my point is <laughs> that that shows some, uh, you know, a lot of big um, uh, private sector corporations are trying to find ways to become customer centric, and yet here we've got a public sector government entity that seems to have uh, started to address that already.
1: And and address it from a point of view that said the most important thing is how easy it is for people to access our services not for people to understand our structures and mm. and a guy called Paul Shetler who you may have heard of he's just yep. come in to run the DTO with Malcolm Turnbull in Canberra he put it beautifully the other day he said at the moment people have to walk around with a map of government in their heads to know where to apply for something and what has happened with service new south wales and what is now happening in canberra and will happen in victoria uh, is that government is saying We'll work out the back end for you. You just come in through the front portal. And so technology has kind of enabled that. Uh, Technology has, has made it easier. But actually the starting philosophy is why is stuff organized like government instead of being organized by services? And that's another example, as I said earlier, of how the organization is becoming more and more like private sector because it's starting to. And Mike Pratt, right. who's the head of service in New South Wales, is starting to put the customer at the heart of everything.
0: Yeah, and that and, and that, that wasn't was, the
1: case in the past.
0: But that's almost leading. That's what I'm saying. It, <laughs> it in some ways leads the private sector because you know I I don't necessarily see the same level of adapting that philosophy happening in the large private sector, you know. So, but there is one part of of digital technology and the digital revolution that I think um, some politicians have embraced, and and, uh, Malcolm Turnbull's the one that immediately comes to mind, but Mm -hmm. I think political parties, and that's social media. You know, from a political point of view, social media has been embraced. But I still see government generally struggling with the role of social media. Is that a fair...?
1: Yeah, it's it's very fair and it's the perfect case in point of of how the word government gets in the way. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm of the view that some of the work being done by the emergency services, so particularly the police, uh, the Rural Fire Service, is at the cutting edge of social media. Mm -hmm. So the guy who runs the Rural Fire Service tweets news of fires, to a community of people that follow him, that include every single journalist in New South Wales. Right. So, we'll yes, to f- actually, you're right. Yeah.
0: I, I remember seeing some really funny tweets from uh, Queensland police. Queensland police. I and mean, during the state of origin, yeah.
1: they're, they're helping themselves. There is a guy whose full time job is to run the Facebook page for New South Wales police. Mm. Now, now, Darren, you, know, you and I are both forward-thinking people and I was once in charge of policy on social media I never for a minute thought that we should start with a policy for the police on social media right and yet the police New South Wales police on Facebook
0: is one of the uh, leading the charge uh, leading the evolution, most visited
1: most liked and even better in terms of the world we've been inhabiting for the last twenty or thirty years they no longer have to advertise their open days in the local paper because they just yeah, recruit do. straight from their Facebook page. Amazing. Now, in the meantime, there are some departments that are still all over the country and in Canberra that are still debating social media strategy and social media policy. And for me, that's one of those things where it's a needs must. The people that have seen an opportunity to do things better are doing great jobs with mm-hmm. it. Um, social media for prisons, I'm still not quite sure how that's <laughs> going to work. And 143 departments, you've got some that really it won't be appropriate for. And from the from the political side, some individual ministers Baird, in particular, is doing brilliant stuff one on one to camera with his own YouTube channel. Yep, suits no, him. And suits him. Wouldn't suit others. It's it's a real horses for courses. Uh, but the but the the, the you know the, the worst thing again that people can do is come up with a social media policy for government mm. because what yep. works for some wouldn't work for others.
0: Alan, what you've described there and just recently it was reinforced to me. The definition of strategy is not what you do, but what you don't do. Okay. Yeah. And, and I think that's really important because people are inclined to, in this day and age where opportunities are expanding, they want to do everything. Mm. In fact, smart strategy is working out what not to do and just focus on doing what you need to do better. Yes. You know, and and I think that's a, a great example there around social media. You know, there are some people and some departments and some causes or, or messaging that social media is terrific for, and others that aren't. But it sounds like generally government is definitely moving towards a more not commercial necessarily in the dollar sense but accountability but certainly more market focused or customer focused customer focused definitely yeah.
1: and customer focused because i guess you know the the obverse of social media is that one can't ignore the conversations that are going on yeah um, you know, whether about policy or whether it's you know, uh, someone like change.org getting together a petition about Bromwyn Bishop within five minutes of it, of the story starting. So there's, a, there's sort of two sides to it. There's a listening side. But then there's also this interesting thing about governments having websites as broadcast channels. Mm-hmm. So in the 10 years I worked in government, I don't know how many hundreds of press releases I saw go across my desk. But I would suggest that in the world of clickbait or whatever you call it nowadays, the likelihood of a press release appearing on the front page of the Herald that isn't a bad news story yeah. is less than it ever was. And so one of the challenges they have as organizations is actually getting their media out. And, and what's happening particularly in the States and increasingly in the UK is that governments are starting to use their websites as broadcast channels. People are subscribing to those channels. Yep. And people are getting their information on, on however local a level and whenever governments do engagement work, so when they do a thing where they say invite somebody to have the, have a say, as a broad rule, the more local the issue, the higher the response will be.
0: So that's interesting, you know, because one of the things that I've always been struck by when I'm talking to uh, people in government uh, involved in communicating with the customer, with the public, they always say, oh, no, I'm communications, I'm not marketing. Mm. Marketing is not us. Do you think that's also changing well, as well?
1: I, I think it's the um, it's it's the undiscussed subject of, of, of the moment, to be honest, because what's changing in government, and I, I, I would imagine private sector as well, is that the role of the comms person, the role of the IT person, the role of the archivist or librarian, uh, the role of the editorial content creator, the public affairs person, they've all been thrown up in the air. Mm-hmm. And and where it goes horribly wrong, you've got people who are employed to look after servers deciding what content goes on a website. Mm-hmm. And where it goes equally wrong, you've got people who are employed as journalists and writers uh, managing the security and making sure sites don't get hacked into. These are all new world problems. Mm-hmm. And the old structure of marketing and IT is under some kind of question. Now, in government, I think 20 years ago, governments were told they weren't in the marketing business. They were in the communications or the public affairs business. Mm -hmm. And so, actually, it's one of those issues that's kind of been bumbling along for a while, a bit like what we call the customer. Are they, you know, residents? Are they stakeholders? Are they citizens? Voters. Are they? No, 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 they're definitely not voters. <laughs> oh, no, no, heaven forbid. That's so crossing the, that's crossing is, the line. That's so the
0: me. target audience isn't all Australian citizens over 18? No, 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 no. Oh, right. Okay. Um, so so the, the
1: challenge, isn't it, for government organisations, for public sector organisations generally, is that all those roles have changed. Yeah. And so quite clearly, you know, if you look at the IT side, there's a job for guys to put computers on the desk. There's a job for guys to develop apps. Mm. Probably not the same fella. Well, it's the same in communications, in mind. Public affairs people dealing with whatever
0: the Alan issues, Jones the issues at them. of the day, yeah. yeah.
1: Um, and then content creators mm. producing content for publishing on their new broadcast channels. Well, they used to produce you know the odd annual report, the odd the odd brochure, maybe. Mm. Entirely big change. So not long winded to answer your question, but I think all the roles have changed, and probably marketing is becoming one of those roles because it's advocating a position to a customer.
0: So I yeah, you know, I may have interpreted incorrectly because when I heard government communications people or public sector communications people saying we're not marketing, I f- I felt they were reacting to the sense that marketing came laden with the idea of selling something yes dirty commercial you know, there was yes, commercial right, yeah. and making money and yeah. see uh, profits and and so in government we don't sell things we communicate we inform we uh we try and change uh, public behavior to mm. meet government uh, needs and requirements and yet, interestingly, in the private sector, the big conversation is, well, marketing's really not that fo- sales-focused. So, you know, you've got the, the public sector where they're saying, oh, we don't want to be marketing because that's dirty and selling. And in the private uh, sector, people are going, well, marketing could be more sales-focused and, and then, more profit and, and return on investment and marketing should be about hitting the numbers.
1: And the, the really interesting thing about the digital age is that if, for example, uh, you look at the transactions around a new driving licence, mm-hmm. and it's not coincidental that the guys sort of led the transformation of service New South Wales are all from the banking industry, but just like the banking industry, where it used to cost whatever it was, $2 a transaction over the counter and $0.22 cents for an online transaction, well, imagine the savings to government if all driving licences were available online rather than people having to go to a place and fill in a form. So there's an interesting sort of... Um, back office marketing role around cost management around better delivery of services mm. and and I think again you know, the challenge that we have is is we, we, we kind of trip up on the government word again because you know Sydney Opera House is a government organization and they sell lots of tickets and the, and the RTA sell lots of driving licenses so there actually are commercial elements at play in lots of parts of government then at the same time as we said earlier there's clearly education and health and, 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 and prison and corrective services where you know, there's no commercial element to it. Mm. So the challenge is, again, applying a rule to all of government. And quite clearly, the people that are working at um, Sydney Olympic Park are arguably in a marketing role. The challenge is that the job is changing so much that actually people haven't got time to sit down and work out which of the world's, world's so, suppliers.
0: Yeah, and, and, and how important is it to yeah. know whether you're a marketer or a comms person? You know, really your function is to fulfil whatever the needs are of that particular role.
1: And one of the um, the sort of bigger picture changes that I'm seeing, and I think are particularly prescient right now, um, in Australia, if people don't follow politics. Might not be aware that um, the last two state government elections, barring the New South Wales election, uh, both of the incumbent uh, parties have lost the election. Against the bookmakers' odds, so they were both expected to win, and they both lost. And obviously, prior to that, we've had you know the, the John Howard election, where a record amount of money was spent on advertising, and the election was still lost in
0: two thousand and seven. Yeah. So,
1: there's, so there's a really interesting thing happening, where actually I think in Victoria it's the first time for fifty years that there had been a single term, a party only elected for a mm-hmm. single term. So as a result, the people running the organisation, the politicians are actually having to become much more focused towards delivery, towards marketing, if you like. Because in four years' time, what the public are showing is that if they hadn't got the, the notches in the public respect, then they'll get voted out. And that's, that's a new dynamic for politics. And I think if you trace it all the way back to you know, what Obama started, there is definitely a new, a new dynamic to politics where people are having to be more accountable at the top level. Mm. Additionally, a lot of the new politicians are younger. As an average, uh, average age of and more aware of and and perhaps digital natives in some cases. So there's a really interesting change, which is that your original question was: Has digital affected government? And and all of those things are all coming on the on the on the back of a group of politicians who all have their own .com website, most of whom are on Twitter. It creates a, a different agenda for the public service because the ministers, in some cases, are saying you guys need to keep up. Mm. So there's a different agenda, a different relationship, whether it's commercial or not, if that's what marketing's about, but it's certainly customer focused. And that's the really big difference that also becomes the similarity with private sector is that you know the customer is increasingly at the forefront of people's minds.
0: Because that's one of the, um, the, the uh, uh, meanings of marketing that I really like. It just means face to market. Yes. You know, and so if you think that for government there's a large group most of the population if not all the population at some point have either uh, services or requirements fulfilled by government then that's a very big market I mean that's the whole population that is uh, so. the focus of government so we're seeing in many ways this transition of citizen to customer yes absolutely con- yeah. so
1: and, and and service delivery Mm. becoming more important than process so you know we talked earlier about in, in in part about the way that bureaucracy and procurement can can sometimes slow things down or appear to be an obstacle the change that's happening is that there's a greater focus on the outcome and as a result some of the processes are being looked at virtually every state is doing a review of their procurement systems so that the processes can work more smoothly to get the outcome they want because mm. people want the outcome that delivers the best service outcome not necessarily the one that ticks every box.
0: Yeah, there was ideally a, you want
1: both. Yeah. clearly. but yeah. because there was
0: a time, yeah, a government, new government, when a, a party came into to power, the first thing they'd say is, "We'll improve the service delivery," usually focusing on the public service, and everyone interpreted that as, you know, cutting out resources. In actual fact, what con- what people want, consumers, um, uh, the citizens want, is a more effective and efficient way of getting their needs met, isn't it?
1: I think you you mentioned Service New South Wales earlier on, and I was, you know, good fortune to work on it in its early days. Mike Pratt, who is the head of Service New South Wales, who's ex-Westpac, Mike has a really good one-liner, which he says that we can reduce the waiting time of people waiting to get a driving licence from the average of 15 minutes, and they've got it down to eight or nine or seven on average now, and that's great. We've saved people seven minutes. But Mike says we'd really change their lives if they never had to come in here ever again. (laughs) <laughs> and that's what's happening in the banking, <coughs> banking industry is that you know people can log on to their accounts at 10 o'clock at night and do all the transactions they can do. They still can't buy a house online, they have to go into the office to do that. And that's the great analogy for government. So where we can make it easier is their thinking. Where it can be easier and where it can add value and it can be better, then we'll see if we can do it digitally and online. And that's the greatest impact of digital, will be where it's actually a better thing for the customer. Digital voting, digital referendums, You know who knows? but mm. in, in service delivery and transactional
0: delivery. And that is generational change because there are still a large group of uh, Australians that still want personal service. Mm. You know, Not everyone is ready for a digital-only world to transact. It has convenience, but it also lacks the personal touch that people often want when they have a problem. I mean, I know there's nothing more frustrating when there's a problem on a website and all you get is more web pages telling you that, yeah, you know, here's how to solve the problem that you don't have.
1: Service New South Wales has been really transformational. And so I apologize for the fact we're you know, probably the third this time This is I not an ad today. for no, no, but, New but, South Wales. but I mean, it's, its success is vindicated by the fact mm. that Victoria are launching Service Victoria, mm. not Smart State Melbourne or something. But they actually said the model is so good, we'll copy it. And, and that's a good thing, by the way. Uh, one of the other things they did was put a concierge into every store. Mm. And the point of that is they understood from banking that the worst thing that can happen is not somebody standing in a queue for a while, standing in the wrong queue for a while, mm. or having the wrong bits of paper in their hand. So you're right, customer service is at the centre of this thing. Where people have got it wrong before is thinking, well, it's fair trading isn't the same as the RTAs, so we'll put them in separate buildings. Yeah. It's it's really not rocket science, but They're it's all been enabled services, by technology. They're
0: government services, And there's a thing there. So, So to look back to Mm. an earlier conversation, which is around advertising, Um, and and a personal bugbear of mine is this idea of political advertising, Mm. because under the Australian Broadcasting Act, it was deemed that all government advertising is political advertising, which is why when you see television or listen to radio or see anything in print, it has the written and authorised statement, because under the Broadcasting Act, it has to be there. Okay. Anything,
1: anything that's deemed to be to be political in nature, yeah. uh, in, but in all the government product.
0: advertising has now been as a safety mechanism has been decided that that is also political advertising. But well, well, yeah, I actually a, yeah. think that there's a difference between the two.
1: There, there is, and um, so the, the broadcasting act requires um, that that anything that's deemed to be political is is branded is is has a tag on the end, and frustratingly for from my time when I was in government, the people, the arbiters of that, are the TV stations. So if they get an ad that they think is political, they will require it to be tagged. Um, The research in government showed that if you tag ads for skin cancer and if you tag ads for drink driving, you tag ads aimed at young people for driving stupidly, um, then the ads won't work so well. They work better without the tag on the end. So in New South Wales we stopped running tags on ads that clearly weren't political in nature mm-hmm. uh, and and on the basis that the act required them only to be tagged for deemed political um, and I believe as a result we made the money we, we, we through qualitative testing we showed uh, that in research at least that response would be higher so that was purely uh, uh, you know following on from that research we, we believed that we would save public money make mm-hmm. the ads more effective by doing it that way but the point and, and you know you you know that um, you know this subject is a bit like poking me with a sharp stick that the point is that if the advertising can't be proven to be a good uh, good expenditure of public money either it doesn't return on investment well then it shouldn't be spent mm. and i think in the 10 years i was in government i think i rewrote the government advertising regulations three times as a result of continued changes in tightening and more tightening of the rules it's in everybody's interests that Every single dollar spent on government advertising, government has an r- absolute duty to inform people of changes to policy. Uh, and I'm, you know, I've left, left, left government a year ago, but I'm still fervently you know, mm. of the view that this is correct. Uh, and to in, and to inform people about the dangers of smoking and the dangers of skincare, we're just about, Darren, frighteningly, we're just about to hit the first generation of people that didn't really recognise the slip, slop, slap advertising. And we did some research recently with um, in the skin cancer area with 16 and 17 year olds who said if they got a bit of a skin cancer they'd go down to the clinic at the end of the road and get it cut out. Mm. Well that's actually you know a nice view of the world but it's actually wrong mm. and, uh, and a campaign called the Dark Side of Tanning showed people that their DNA was changed forever mm. once they had a skin cancer. So it's really important the government carries on spending the money doing that. Uh, What's happening in government advertising across Australia and across the world is that it's polarizing down to road safety, to health, and to tourism promotion. Tourism promotion is a commercial operation, so we kind of put that to one side. What tends to happen is in the run-up to an election, um, over-eager politicians sometimes forget uh, some of those rules about... And uh, in, in certain states it's no longer possible to forget, but in those which is... Uh, the really interesting thing is in those states recently where people have forgotten the rules and maybe put some ads on telly that were a little bit political in nature, uh, they didn't win the election.
0: Well, I think um, today with social media, mm. you get that backlash. Mm. You know, the, the, the public is cynical enough to see... Pork barreling. I, I, I'm, I'm not against pork barreling. I think you can actually uh, encourage people to see your way if you put money in their pocket. Mm. But I think seeing it just spent on flashy television ads that don't have any direct um, benefit to mm. me as the viewer would naturally get a cynical reaction. I and mean, I, that's my my hypothesis.
1: Oh, no, no, no I, and, I, and I completely agree. And the challenge in being a government marketer mm. is that the government brand... Isn't a strong brand. People go, "Oh, they're you know they're they're ripping us off. They're doing this. They're doing that." You know, so the challenge is that you start from a position of negativity, and if you then feed that negativity with advertising, which is quite clearly political in nature, then my view is you get a triple backlash because people are actually already offended by the notion that money's being spent on advertising, but then the fact that it's insulting to them, or it, or it's communicating a message they don't agree with. I, I mean, I I think there's enough evidence now of the last twenty years. Worldwide, to show that that sort of advertising actually takes people backwards, not forwards, mm. uh, and and you know that's not a creative issue; it's a it's a believability issue of the modern world where you can't just walk in four minutes before an event and tell somebody how good your product is. Yeah, you need to be doing that.
0: You need to prove it over time. Over
1: time, and people people give you the feedback on whether they think you're right or wrong, and mm. you adjust and you move. No different to Coca-Cola or to Shell or to any other company managing a managing a brand. So I'm really proud of the fact that in New South Wales, in the, in the 10 years I was there, I don't think we did any political advertising. Um, in smoking, for example, we reduced the number of smokers in New South Wales from over 20% of the population to around 16%. And uh, we believe that the advertising dollars we spent returned something like $5 to the dollar in terms of savings mm-hmm. to healthcare. Yeah. So I'll defend government advertising, you know, as long as you'll let me, but um, but you're right. It starts from a point of view that, that, you know, years of people doing daft things all over the world means that the brand's a little bit tarnished. It's a shame.
0: Well, look, you know, Alan, I think that uh, it's really exciting, that vision that uh, you've painted of the transformation that government's going through. Mm. I mean, the old days of government communications being almost, you know... Uh, Handed down from on high, like the tablets from God to Moses, yes. is now actually changing. That you know, there there appears to be, and the examples you've given, fantastic trend towards you know, a face to market and a face to the customer, mm. a focus on services and fulfilling the needs of the people that the government are there to represent and, and to provide those services to. Uh, it'll be fascinating in the next uh, three to five years to see uh, how far government is actually able to take this.
1: Absolutely right. And if you look at um, some of the businesses that government have built in the last four or five years online, you know, the various... Uh, uh, the, the sites that will tell you how to get from, from A to B in each state, you know, the transport sites, they've all got, you know, one and a half, two million visitors a month. Uh, you know, there, there are some really big publishing properties being built, speaking as an ex-publisher, uh, by government departments, education sites, you know, the school sites carry all the curricula and all of the exam results. Again, million, million and a half, two million visits a month. Suddenly government's got these broadcast media that mm. they didn't have ten years ago and there's a really interesting Potential trend around government not needing to rely on traditional media to broadcast their messages
0: as they become more and more a media in their own right. And particularly if you look at what happens at council level. Well, uh, I'd like to say thank you, Alan Probert, Group Head of GovCom Group. Thank you very much. My pleasure. And um, what did you vote on?